Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John, and in this episode, I'm continuing my discussion with Johannes about our long-running campaigns. And at the start of this episode, we're continuing a discussion of a recent encounter in my Old School Essentials campaign, Smoke and Snow, where the player characters, exploring an underground tomb, found themselves besieged by a small horde of zombies. <laughs> One of the things I particularly enjoyed with like, the zombie encounter as well was, because as, as we've just said, the zombies always go last in initiative. So like we never had to worry about rolling for initiative, because we, obviously we just do one role per side like players and npcs and slash monsters so we never had to worry about that it's just like, right the players are going first then it's the monsters also just because of like the way my roles happened to fall in you all being pretty well armored like they, they weren't hitting mm. a great deal but like my roles as as you said it during the extra session my roles for damage when they did hit mm-hmm. were like pretty much near the top end of the scale so mm-hmm. it was like a really sort of interesting and slightly odd combat because you our zombies are like clawing at you and they they spent six rounds just like patting on your armor and doing nothing and then one of them had hit and someone would be like oh eight points of damage oh christ i'm not looking so good and in in a way it was kind of like a you know a good old zombie movie in that way Uh, you know fantasy stuff like mail armor all that but like the idea of like these slow, sort of cumbersome enemies that come at you en masse, and you're you're trying to block them at the doorway or whatever in a zombie movie, and yeah. uh, like they're not great. Like they're very slow and inept at what they're trying to do, but they're really they're trying their best at it, yeah. and and it's attrition, and that's what happened to us as well. Like we are very uh, hard to hit from the zombie perspective, but all they need is one hit because that's what the zombie do <laughs> that's it and because i because i'm using like the standard like figures from old school essentially like, the number of them that appear so, so you get like mm-hmm. a sort of like here's here's a dice range to what you get in like a random encounter here's the dice range you'll get if they're in, they're in like a lair or a dungeon so mm-hmm. because i was like all right okay, i'll just roll like once on the lair and that's how many zombies like the dudes got in the dungeon mm-hmm. all right 14 right okay so there's only 14 zombies in this scene if it had just been like oh, one zombie per play character, you guys would have just laughed it off. Mm-hmm. No problems. You've yeah, just been like, yeah. okay, maybe they've hit us twice, but like we've just floored them. Great, because yeah, you, you were I'd... slapping down zombies like it was going out of fashion. Yeah, because I have I have the, the sort of zombie killing. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> no problem. But um, like I say, with it being the sort of like the zombie movie Star Wars, like, oh, there's like four of you guys. There's 14 of them. Mm-hmm. So even if you're like taking down like two, three a turn, that's still a good number of turns where like there's more zombies just crowding in and like I say at the start you're like oh we've taken a couple of hits it's fine you're like slapping them left right and center with the sun sword but then like as the rounds go on you're like oh actually I've taken like five hits now I'm not, I'm not looking so good and there's still like eight of them left mm. or like we had a couple of rounds where like you guys just got bad rolls and didn't kill any of that round yeah which yeah that 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 was the uh, that's the sort of emotional payload of the game for me uh for a lot of these sort of uh, more intense battles that we've had uh is the um okay i'm on one hit point also like i can you know affect this situation a lot 
if I just managed to make this one roll. Yeah. And I've biffed it <laughs> several times against your vampires, against these zombies here. Yeah. Like things that I might have just obliterated in one go or at least like severely sent reeling like I did with the vampires in the in like several sessions ago. Uh, <clears throat> and because um, I know that I know the incredible potential that I can bring <laughs> with the with the yeah. sensors specifically when, you know, we've had a lot of undead people uh, on board here. So. The undead always like exciting time for me because I, I know that I can stride in and I can make a real difference with the sun sword. And then when I biff it, it's it's always like, oh no, because I was I was really hoping that would have hit because yeah. not only am I now in you know this exposed position, but like I like no one else has the sun sword. I need to hit with it because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, you know, with the vampires as well. Like Dave has the silver daggers, which I think worked on the vampires. But other than that, uh, I don't think at the time uh, we had the barbarian um, at such a level where uh, Darren would have been able to, you know, tag yeah, yeah. whatever the the wording of that rule is that he has now, that where he can tag the uh, sort of magically disinclined. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's. I mean, I think with that class, it's it's a bit of a sort of balance thing because. Obviously, barbarians have that thing where, like, unless it's a magic item from their tribal tradition, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. they can't use magic. And it's like, obviously, he's got like his like spear of the hunter, but like, there's a mm -hmm. limit how many times you can be like, oh, it just so happens to be an ancient artifact of your people. So they mm -hmm. tend to like get magic stuff a lot less rapidly and frequently than other people. So mm -hmm. they've sort of given that mobility where after a certain level with their normal attacks even though they don't do any extra damage they can still like hit creatures that normally you can only hit with magic because mm -hmm. they don't get a lot of it basically yeah but that's that's that brings in the juice uh i i presume probably for uh, uh darren as well in in some form because he has a character that it can make a lot of impact yeah. in in the sort of fighty situations and uh yeah, uh, for me, it is, it is fun. Like, I enjoy the fights that we do um, almost always. And the more, you know, we run into trouble and the worse it goes, the better it gets for me. Because I'm one of those people who um, took it to heart where um, there's there's this advice floating around in the Powered by the Apocalypse game spheres where um, originally from Avery Alder uh, about playing your characters like they were stolen cars. Uh, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> that's, that's entirely my jam, especially in sort of uh, quote-unquote deadly D20 stuff. Like, I, I, I enjoy every time I'm, like, one roll away from dropping it <laughs> in your game. I feel very much the same way. I mean, the thing is, obviously, you don't deliberately try and get your characters killed. Oh. But the the only thing I'm sort of, like, worried about is, like, and particularly well, having played like OSR games, is like having a death that's like boring. <laughs> like if I die, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like you know, if you just like walked into a room and you were like, "Oh no, a cart's fell over and I've been like crushed under watermelons or whatever." <laughs> if like, like say every combat you go into or whatever, you're like really like playing it to the hilt, then even if you die in it, as long as you like had like fun and you got some like cool stuff that happened during mm -hmm. that combat, I'm like really happy. And to, to take it back to like Chronicle of the Crowns, we talking about the uh, fight against the Shadow of Despair for anyone who's mm -hmm. not watched it. We're effectively fighting against this like legendary sort of beast, the Shadow of Despair, and it's got this like wave of despair that like rolls off it and it can sort of like freeze your heart in your chest and you have to make effectively a save against it. Yeah. And um 
we all failed. I'd luckily drank like some magic well juice that mm-hmm. like I'd got on me, so I was like proof against it. But then I'm suddenly like, oh, the guys who've actually got the magic who can like, feasibly do something about it, mm-hmm. they're all like incapacitated for a number of rounds. And like my knight character, I'm like, oh well, I've got, I've got a full plate armor on and a shield. Right, I'm just gonna try. I can't really hurt this thing because my rolls ain't that good. And I'm just gonna try and like keep. But my defense is pretty good. I'm just gonna try and keep this thing off them until mm-hmm. they've got a chance to recover and they can like deal the damage to it. And with that, if like I said, I'm I'm wielding my shield, this thing's slapping me about the place like it's going out of fashion, and I'm like mm-hmm. struggling back up like with my shield bent around my like arm and whatever. But I'm like, if I had died in that that scene my character i'd have just been like oh yeah but you know at least i went out in a cool fashion like trying to like fend off yeah. this like great beast or whatever whereas the only thing that i wouldn't have liked in that scene is if we'd have like all failed and like the thing would have just killed us yeah that, that would have been pretty boring <laughs> you, you guys step into the room everyone yeah, is, all like, is frozen <laughs> in fear and terror the thing just walks up and goes like in one fell swoop to tuk, 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 three yep. decapitated heads game over how did you like the campaign guys yeah <laughs> And, yeah. and like I say, it'd be similar in like Smoke and Snow. Like if you guys had, because you guys quite smartly were like, oh, all these zombies are pouring up the stairway. If we block the stairs, only a mm-hmm. couple of them can get to us at a time and we can sort of funnel them in that way. Whereas if you guys had like backed off a bit and I was like, oh, yeah, 14 zombies come flooding out and like, oh, yeah. you're dead in like two rounds, I'd have been like, oh, it's it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you. Like you're playing your characters like, uh, like you're riding a stolen car because it, for one thing, it's just more fun, mm-hmm. uh, and for another, like say, even if you even if you do die or like the worst happens in a scenario, you can be like, well, at least I did my best and I had some like fun while I was like slide like power sliding my character into the bin, yeah. rather yeah. than like oh I was just stood there and I got like hit by an orc over the back of the head with a rock and uh, that was me dumb. Yeah, I mean, if if a character of mine in one of your games literally does the power slide. Power medals playing in the background, and they die at the end. That's that's what I signed up for. That's what I wanted. <laughs> I'm happy with that. I mean, I, I think as well. Like another thing I enjoyed in like, Smoke, so that like, the only sort of casualty for the zombies was um, was Lan the NPC. It was like Darren's mm. character's wife, and mm. she got like tore apart by the zombies. And fair play to like uh, Darren. Like he's sort of like obviously he's like a barbarian. And he like it steeled his resolve, and he like gritted mm-hmm. his teeth. And he's like, well, I'm definitely going to wipe out these zombies now. Mm-hmm. And but like he made like and obviously we we didn't go into like full like emotive scenes of him like oh my god yeah. what's up but like he kept sort of like doing like little referrals like back to it during mm-hmm. the scene so like even though he's like oh he's like the typical like hench manly man like barbarian mm-hmm. he, he was like oh you know, like a bead of sweat runs into my face or maybe it's a tear mm-hmm. but uh, and just, just that stuff like that I thought was that like, really cool and I enjoy the obviously like. It's an unfortunate thing when an NPC affiliated with your character gets wiped out, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed like the additional complications and the the sort of additional like emotion that it added to that mm-hmm. scene because like, it, it went from suddenly like you guys being like, "Oh, we're in a dungeon, we're fighting these zombies because like, these zombies are coming for us," and it suddenly turned into like, "Oh, Darren's character Brock now wants some like revenge because like they've killed his wife," mm-hmm. and it sort of like, made it a little bit more personal. Yeah, and also the like repercussions of that because we i think we ended up uh, or darren did uh end up with a uh like a cremation well he, he didn't actually cremate her in the end we, we we just talked about how that might have you yeah. know happened um so we still have land there yeah. <laughs> the, the you know the earthly remains of land which i think um 
starting next session, depending on like everything really, but um, uh, I think there will be at least by yours truly going to be floated the idea of like we we need to carry Lan out of here. Like we, yeah. this is clearly not the place we're going to leave Lan now. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, getting Lan's remains. Well, yeah, out of here it, now. it's just it's just added like an additional. Like I said, we're talking about complications. It's added an additional complication and sort of like an objective mm-hmm. to, to to a scene that could have otherwise been very simple. You know, like kill the zombies, get out of the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're all beaten and we're all sort of down. We've got to like fight a defensive action, but also we've got to go out and like retrieve our fallen comrade. So like we're not leaving the body to the necromancer. We've also mm-hmm. got to work out a way of getting through this like magically sealed gate. How are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. So all instead of it's gone from a fairly simple scene to like oh there's there's like multiple different objectives we've potentially got to like worry about. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think again that that's something that has happened a lot in like the Burning Wheel game. Like obviously we started out fairly simple. It, in the scope of things, right? We're adventuring to try and retrieve this crown. That mm-hmm. it's been like prophesied, like Matthew's character is going to like become the king. Now we've got the crown, and now it's like, all right, okay. Now, now, how do we make him the actual king? Because mm-hmm. like he's just a king in name at the minute. He's not really got all the kingly regalia apart from the crown. All right, okay. Now, now we've got all these other forces coming in. How do we marshal our own forces after we've got some to actually face down these enemies? And it's just sort of like it sort of extends out almost like a, a web of sort of like. You know, like when you hit like a pane of glass or something, you see like, mm-hmm. or you see like yeah. a, someone walking on an icy lake in a movie. You see like the cracks spread out, yeah, yeah, and then they keep spreading out. Both the games sort of strike me very much like you start off with the one sort of initial mm-hmm. complication, and then the player action sort of spread out from there. Yeah, yeah, and I I do enjoy that a lot, and it does leave the room like we we said a little bit before um, the um, the possibility of. Just leaving out stacks and stacks of unresolved things you can return to at your leisure. Yeah. Or the person running the game, uh, such as yourself, uh, you you brought back some stuff that we never resolved. For example, like the Fire Lord. Like we we were going to, we talked about that guy a lot. <laughs> but yeah. then things came up, we went elsewhere, the world changed, and um, guy's still there. You brought him back to the front in a different form. And... Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy that. It brings a sort of continuity, uh, a sense of history to the setting, the game. Uh, and it, it feels like, I suppose, uh, yeah, there's a sense of verisimilitude in the fact that like things don't go away necessarily, yeah. even if like you're not there doing the thing about it constantly. And it sort of stays with you through the game. I enjoy that. It also helped for me that uh, I found like a really simple sort of like in inverted commas like faction sort of management system. So obviously we've talked a bit about like the stars without number and worlds without mm-hmm. number systems, which are, are a mini game unto themselves. Yeah, they are. Which is only totally fun for the GM. Yeah, and and it's really interesting, but it was like more complex than what I needed for mm-hmm. for, for a D and D game. And I found I think it was online like a really simple system where it's basically you. You take like a dice for each of the factions, and like you pick like a, a dice with more sides for a more powerful faction, and a dice with less for like a, a weaker faction. Then you basically roll them in like a little tray or something, mm-hmm. and any of the dices that sort of touch, like some event or interaction has occurred between those factions, 
and you basically look at the numbers that have been rolled and whichever mm-hmm. dice has the highest number that's the faction that came out the best mm-hmm. in whatever situation occurred so it's so it, it's it's fairly loose and you still have to decide what the interactions are but it just means every couple of games i can just like roll a handful of dice and i can be like all oh, right yeah the fire lords had a had an interaction with like this group here so oh yeah and uh but this group came off the best, so have they maybe managed to like, infiltrate his like forces, or have they forced some mm-hmm. of his forces back, or whatever? And it just allows me to like keep things going, but it's not me a hundred percent sort of planning stuff out because I, I like to have, have a bit of a plan, but I also like a little bit of a little bit of randomness. So it's mm-hmm. not just me being like, right, I know that if the players do nothing in X sessions, the Fire Lord is going to wipe out these six villages, mm-hmm. which you can do. I've done it in the past; that that works fine. But I'd much rather, for me, like have it where I can be like, oh, okay, the Fire Lord's doing his thing. Then I get one of these rolls, and I'm like, all oh, right, okay, so he's uh, so he, he's, he's uh, had some sort of interaction where he's come out best against uh, Brackenwald, say. And I can mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe his, well, which is what happened when his uh, his forces attacked like Castle Brackenwald, and they sort of like they they blew up the gates. That that was a random roll, and I was like, all right, the, the numbers only slightly higher for them, so it's not like a mad victory. What could they have done? All right, they've they sent like a saboteur in, they've like blown up the gates. Mm-hmm. Loads of stuff came off that, which was all off that little dice roll. It wasn't something I'd sort of like pre-planned like sessions before. Yeah, and that also just it's it's wonderful because it added on to the other stuff that we had run into because we we knew about these infiltrators before and then we sort of updated our understanding of the Brackenwald area and we're like well uh, oof, yikes uh, we need to deal with this stuff over here and we rock up and what do you know they have the same problems as we do with the infiltrators and they're getting you know saboteurs in addition to infiltrators so suddenly we like there's this is me thinking when this was going on in the game um, now we have potential you know allies we, we could do some stuff now with brackenwall because we have a common quote-unquote enemy yeah uh, in that the fire lord just threatens everyone uh at this point so uh that's cool because it was not the case i did not think about that before that thing happened that we went there and looked at the thing as like well it looks like there's a hole in your castle wall what gives <laughs> yeah and uh, <laughs> And that was a random event, turns out. So definitely, yeah, the uh, that one paid off at least like for my experience. That is a lot of payoff for uh, uh, like a die roll. Yeah, and I'd say system. obviously, as we've said, you know, as a as a GM, you have like enough planning to do for for a session for like the immediate stuff that's going on with the session. So much as I wholeheartedly endorse and love having stuff going on in the background to make it seem like a real sort of like lived in world where stuff's progressing. I also don't want to be like, right, okay, I've got to spend like a few hours like planning the session. I don't want to then have to spend like an additional few hours, like planning for stuff that's happening off stage. Mm -hmm. Or if I, if I do plan, I don't want to spend the same amount of time, but I do think it's necessary to sort of have stuff happening off stage. Where it's just been able to like right, I've done all my planning, and what I, what I normally do is like at the very start of the session, I'll do like my faction role, and I'll be like, all right, okay, has anything of interest happened? All right, is any of it likely to impact the stuff the players are like looking at? So I'll say, ask you guys what you're going to do on the previous session, and if it does, I like to work it up in a bit more detail. Whereas if it doesn't, I can be like, right, well, I've just got to have a general idea of what's happening. So the, the whole like Brackenwald stuff, because I, I said didn't really think you'd 
be going straight to Brackenwald. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, some saboteurs have caused some damage to the gate. They were discovered and they, they were killed, but they're now on sort of high alert. And that was pretty much all I had planned for that. But because, like we're saying, the most difficult thing being to make like the first mark on that page. Because I'd already got that. When you guys are like, all right, we're heading off to Brackenwald, I can immediately be like, right, well, I know roughly what's going on there. So all I've got to do is fill in these like little details. Like, oh yeah, there's like, there's like watch captains, like watching over the carpenters and the masons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's a bit slow going. And then you guys are like, oh, well, maybe we could like hook you up with some stonemasons from like a, from our town mm-hmm. and we could like help you, you know, and like maybe we can get this whole like trade thing going on. And it all sort of spirals off from there, which I thought was a, a really nice payoff for it. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, like stuff like that is, I don't know. It's just, the wonderful sort of ignition blocks, I guess, for the collaborative fiction that is the result of us bouncing around in this game. Uh, yeah. It's, I, 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 I suppose that's the the reason why we do <laughs> do this. This yeah. whole thing, the sort of collaborative thing that we have at the end, the story that we have of the things that happened at the yeah. end of, and, the and it's game. it's it's often put about in sort of OSR circles, like because obviously the. A lot of OSR people are very sort of scathing of like the, the storytelling games, and it's often mm. sort of put about that in an OSR game, the story is just like whatever happens in the game, mm-hmm. and you discussing it afterwards. Mm-hmm. You don't start out with sort of like a, a ready-made story or something like that. But uh, which I sort of agree with, particularly in terms of like D and D, like if you like open world stuff like I do, then yeah, the the story is whatever the player characters decide to do. So. Mm-hmm. If we started like smoke and snow, and we're like, all right, yeah, and obviously we we talked about like what the sort of goal was going to be, you know, the initial we're reclaiming our ancient homeland. Mm-hmm. So like, I wouldn't expect on the first session you guys, but actually we don't fancy settling a village here. We're we're, we're going to like get back on the boat and we're going to take the boat. Yeah. We're going to become pirates raiding the coast. But if you guys had have said that, I'd have gone all right, and we'd have sort of gone with that, and the game would have gone off in an entirely different direction. And the story would have been entirely different. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, obviously, in the Burning Wheel game again, we sort of we discussed everything so like beforehand, so we knew what we were sort of getting into. We had input in that, but I do feel that, like particularly like Burning Wheel, with the way it's set up, it benefits more from having a more sort of defined starting point for the story, mm-hmm. as we've sort of said earlier, rather than just being a sort of like here's the map, go. Mm-hmm. Like you can do in D and D, yeah, yeah. And well, yeah. There's there's a like a whole other episode to do about like storytelling game. Well, well, <laughs> I don't well, think. It's... Well, there you go. I'll, I'll take that as tacit <laughs> approval for me to let try and book you in for that, like for that uh, suppose, episode suppose... at some point in the future. I suppose we'll um, save that for for later. Well, then. Although I don't know how much I'd have to say on it because because my my response would yeah. typically be like, yeah, yeah I, I like a bit of story games. I like a bit of D and D games. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be one of those five minute episodes where uh, you say that and I say, what, why does this term exist? What what, what what's a story game? Because yeah. <laughs> I, um, of course, every one of us does have our own take on things. Obviously. Um, I don't think that terminology is particularly useful. Yeah, and it, it's it's just not useful for me at all. <laughs> I, I think as well, I'm finding like as I get like to be an even older, like grumpier man, that uh, 
as as I sort of like a lot of these conversations I've already sort of seen and I've been involved in like online about you know like, oh what is the OSR what's the story game what's railroading mm. what's this that and the other mm. which I don't begrudge anyone having those discussions no. but like I've had them so many times myself that now when people sort of raise them with me I'm like well I tell you what once you've decided what it is come back come back to me and then we'll sort of like move on. And obviously, like no one ever comes back to you because like there's never going to be a case where like at, like, yeah. like a sort of Nicene Council where like every role Grand place conclave that's of it. RPGs. Yeah, every role <laughs> place sits down across the land and goes like <laughs> right according to the proclamation of the year of our Lord 2022. It is now decreed that the OSR means this and a storytelling game is this. And there shall be no railroading in the future. Yeah. And for some reason, these two things are opposite yeah. and, and at odds forever. More. Yeah. You know, now, as is probably apparent from my, my tone there, uh, I, no, I've, I've, I find it to be uh, a waste of effort, really, to you know, fence around in that particular circle. And I, yeah. I guess, much as you refer to uh, like being an old grumpy man, I've also reached that point uh, quite a few years ago now where it's like I would rather not engage in that because I don't think there's a lot there to be gained yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I don't begrudge anyone having the discussions, but mm-hmm. I, I, I'm at that sort of stage now where I'm like, do you know what? I'd, I'd rather save my energy for actually playing the games. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a discussion that, someone that's else can bit. have if, if they would want to. Yeah. I'm... I've, I'm just here to enjoy and play some games. And, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I, I'm sort of like whiter than white or anything <laughs> like that. Certainly, like a good handful of years ago, I, I, I was quite happily one of the people who, like, if you were like, oh, what do you think of modern D&D? I'd be like, ah, oh, modern D&D is rubbish. Go back to the old D&D. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But, but now I'm at the stage where, like, do you know what? Like, so someone else playing like a version of D&D I'm not, I'm not particularly fond of. Mm-hmm. Do, does it impact me? Not, not really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, if someone's like, "Hey, do you want to play a game in like fifth edition or whatever?" I'd be. Like, to be honest, if it was like a GM I knew in a group I liked, I'd probably be like, "Yeah, fine." Because <laughs> as as we've said, like the systems or for me is almost like the secondary thing. I mean, we we've, we've mm-hmm. played no end of systems where I'm like, "Oh, do you know what? If we, if we didn't have a good group, this system could be like pretty crappy." But yeah. it, it's been good because of the GM in the group. Yep. And yep. Like, like I say, my, my friend Robbie was talking about coming down at some point and running some D&D 3.5 edition for us. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's not my favourite edition, but I've been in games he's run before. I really enjoyed them. We're playing with a group of people I know. We'll probably mm-hmm. have fun. I've, I've played in 5th edition. I've had fun. It's, we've had a good group. It's been great. Yeah. yeah. But, and I've, I've threatened, like, this is some years ago now because time is is not real anymore um i feel like but uh, it's been several years now but i've also threatened to run some 5e for our little group here yeah uh and uh, i guess we'll we'll see if that ever comes to fruition but that, that's also being uttered and i will i will agree with your statement of yeah we've we've played some let's call like dank designs yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've had a grand old time with them um a, a highlight of of my particular one that I, I constantly bring up in our pregame chats when we go off on various rants um, <laughs> is is my one of my all time favorites, Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, yeah. There's some very deep seated um, sort of manufacturing flaws that I view as flaws in the design of that particular yeah. game, 
that I have been a, a sort of constant uh, <laughs> specter hovering over uh, my my role playing um, uh, enjoyment and, and hobby for uh, well, I suppose since I started because Vampire was one of those early games for me. Yeah, and um, it's never stopped me from enjoying the game. It's just you you deal with the thing that you have on the table at the moment. You adjust things if that's what you want to do, um, and uh, you you have a good time with hopefully some nice people around the table, yeah. and we we keep doing that. And <laughs> so what I'm I suppose what I'm sort of starting to drive towards with all of this is like you can have a great time with almost anything. Uh, there is yeah. that almost because some games, there are some um, that uh, I would just, no, nah. <laughs> not, not at all. Not, not even going to look at it. But um, yeah, for, for most games, it's you, you can make it into something you can enjoy. Even if you know. I, I was enjoying as well when like, people have like, people have said to me about various systems like a, uh, the, the live action version of Vampire at the Mind's Eye Theatre mm. and people have said like oh is it like a good system and I'll be like no no <laughs> it's a terrible system and then they'll be like oh have you played it and I'm like yeah I've played in like 18 games during the course of my life yeah. some of which went for years and they're like well why, why did you play them if it's so like mm-hmm. such a dank system and I'm like well, but, but because, I, because I enjoyed the people I was gaming with it was like an yeah. interesting story good time and you know you you can put up with a lot for a system as long as you're still having fun in the actual game. Yeah, yeah. I suppose like this very this is getting very high concept here now, but like I think overall it's everything's compromised. Yeah, in life somehow, some way, everything is compromised, and uh, most of the time you can have a great time with playing role playing. That's why we keep doing it, and that's that's. Even though, like we we have these like passionate arguments about terminology and taxonomy of yeah. what what is a game, and um, um, is it a featherless pipette or? <laughs> uh, but like, that's we we keep doing this, yet we we stick around for the hobby. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, to to use an analogy as well, like you say most of life is about compromise. I mean, take 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 work for instance, mm-hmm. like. I would say that like 99.9% of people probably don't have a day job that they absolutely love. But you, you sort of go, right, okay, well, I need money to pay my bills, keep a roof over my head, do this, that, and the other, and this job allows me to do with that, and I can I can sort of tolerate the bits I don't like for the sake of having money and being able to like live in a house and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And if you get to a stage where you're like, oh, despite the fact it's provided for my lifestyle i really can't put up with like the shortcomings that's when you leave your job you look for something mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. you know but much as with games as well you know you yeah to put me okay there's there's x y and z i don't like about the system however how much of my enjoyment are they ruining because like if it's just like occasionally a bit of a mechanic comes up and you're like mm-hmm. but the rest of the game's great then you're like you know, i can put up with that like slightly poor mechanic for the sake mm-hmm. of the rest of the game that I'm enjoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it does help to take stuff in in its context because that yeah. gives you some tools to understand why that thing that grates you so is the way it is. Yeah, and like I say, if you, if you to carry on like the job analogy, as with a job, if you get to a point when you're like, 
do you know what the, this this mechanic that drives me up the wall it's coming up like every five minutes mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at the point where i'm no longer enjoying the game because of that that's mm-hmm. the point when you go like maybe i need to like stop playing yeah. this system or stop playing this game but mm-hmm. if it's just a case of like oh every now and again i'm like oh that's a bit that's a bit subpar mm-hmm. but i'm enjoying 99.9% of the rest of the game you know, well, well, that's fine Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's not really a perfect game out there. No, no. And the pursuit of that, uh, and I know there's there's folks out there. I know them, uh, some of them personally in in real life, in in physical meat space, yeah. um, who sort of are gradually, even though they they realize that oh, I'm looking for the perfect game. They still return to that quest time yeah. and again, um, after like a like a brief love affair with one game. Yeah, uh, that is the perfect game, and then honeymoon is over. It's no longer the perfect game. The quest is back on. That's right. We're talking about you, Lloyd. I I haven't been in the same physical space with Lloyd. Lloyd's not on my list. Uh, <laughs> don't you know? Well, well no, um, no, no, no. Obviously, like, <laughs> joking aside, I, and I, speaking very generally here, I think mm-hmm. when it comes to like the perfect game, there's like roughly speaking like two categories of people, and I, I would say. Lloyd, and I'm sure he would be the first to admit this, he he plays a game for a bit, he, he throws everything, all of his passion into a game. He dissects the yeah, game he, as well. He, yeah, he, <laughs> he loves it, he really like delves deeply into it, because he wants to like, understand everything about it, and he's really enthused about it. But the danger of doing that is, when you sort of, to my mind, obviously it's just my opinion, when you're sort of like, you're that sort of impassioned about a game, and you think, yes, is is this the mythical perfect game I've found? eventually inevitably you start noticing the little cracks in the armor and little bits where you're like oh i'm not really keen on that and then you've got one of two choices you either like i've sort of done you either accept oh there's probably not a perfect game i'm going to find a few games that have got minimal flaws like flaws i can live with and i'm going to run them and have a good time or as lloyd would i'm sure admit that he does you mo- you continue that quest as you were saying you move on to the next game and you you go like oh maybe this is the perfect game and you throw everything into that mm-hmm. and i think both approaches they're equally valid you know i mean i i would say i've played in like numerous sort of like one shots and stuff like that that lloyd's run of games when he's throwing himself in it and you can really tell with every game he runs he's very passionate about running mm-hmm. that game and he he always brings that like a hundred and ten percent to like every game he runs because he does just throw all of himself into running a game, mm-hmm. and yeah, okay, like th- three. And I often jibe with him about like, oh, three months down the line, you think this game is not the worst game ever and it's trash, mm-hmm. and and he'll be the first to admit that. But for, for those like three months when he's all about that game, like I think you'd be hard pushed to find anyone who's more enthusiastic mm-hmm. or. Mm-hmm. Or like brings their sort of a game as consistently as him to a game because he is so like mm-hmm. wanting it to be like the perfect game, yeah. you know. Yeah. Whereas I think for myself, I probably don't throw myself in quite as much as him because I'm at the stage where I've sort of accepted, oh, there isn't a perfect game. Obviously, I'll try and run the best game I can, but I'm sort of like, I'm not going to run the, I'm not going to run like D and D and pretend it's not got flaws. I'm mm-hmm. not going to run Vampire and pretend it's the perfect game because we all know it isn't. But mm-hmm. let, let's just like put up with its flaws, or sort of like go, oh, they're, they're just part of it. They're like endearing flaws, and let's just mm-hmm. have fun and like run a game. 
Yeah. And I think a part of this is as well to consider is even if you found the perfect game, you as a person will, I guarantee this, you will not stay the same person yeah. across decades of your life. So it will, you will drift and your, your taste will develop in games. This is, I, I'm speaking for me, like this is what happened to me. Yeah. Um, like I have developed a vastly different taste than let's say 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed different things about different games. I enjoyed a different variety of games uh, and um, and things that I held up as like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, now might be a, a sort of like cherished memory of like, oh yeah, like those were, those were some good days. But I've not touched that thing for 10 years now. And I, I don't see myself doing it almost ever again, aside from maybe like flipping through it and yeah. being like, oh, yeah, that, that was some cool stuff we might have done back then. But. I mean, I, I, I did a similar thing with, um, as you know, when I when I first started doing like videos and whatever, I, I was all about the game Fate. Yeah. And like, every other game I ran was Fate. I had like all the various different Fate worlds and Dresden Accelerated and and all of that. And I still enjoy Fate now. I've got very fond memories of all the games I've run with it. But it's not the sort of like first game that springs to mind when I go, oh, I'm going to run a new game now. Whereas like a few years ago, if someone had said, oh, we've got some players who want an RPG running, John. Do you fancy running something for them? I'd have been like, Fate, I'm going to run some variety of Fate. Mm -hmm. And I'd have, mm -hmm. I'd have done that. And obviously, I know I ran Fate for like you guys a number mm -hmm. of times online. Whereas... Now I'm sort of like now I'm more sort of like into like the OSR games and stuff like that. And again, I'm not saying they're perfect, but they've sort of like supplanted, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that, fate as like the the, the go-to. Yeah, the yeah. go-to. So like, if someone's mm -hmm. like, oh, "I want you to run a quick game," and you're like, "All right, I haven't got a lot of prep time. What what can I run that I can do a good game of?" Yeah, here's, here's some white star like we're, we're yeah, gonna do, exactly, you, know, yeah. you know phasers like yeah that's already we're on board and, now. and I, I had a similar thing as you know when um i was running the the fantasy flight games like star wars mm. I, I was all about that for yeah for like a while and like ran loads of games of that whereas i've not, I've not basically touched it since then mm -hmm. I, I still have fond memories of running the game but when i look at it now i'm like oh do you know what if i wanted to run a star wars game that there's probably other systems I could do it with easier mm -hmm. and without as much effort, you know. So, uh, um, we've talked about the um, the, the hyperspace D6 sort of like mm -hmm. fan game and stuff like that, yeah, like by Matt Click, yeah, Matt Click, yeah. The old, um, the old West End Games D6 that it was based on, there's that the D20 Star Wars, which I've got most of. So, there's lots of options for that, or again, like something like Fate, I could easily go. Oh, I'm going to use Fate to run a Star Wars game. Yeah, that is which which we did. We swapped yeah. that one campaign mid stride from from FFG Star Wars to uh, Fate Accelerated. Was it? I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, definitely, I think. And this is this isn't me. It's like, oh, this is the truth. Like, no one will enjoy this. Of course, like people will stick. We we all probably know someone who's still doing that thing they were doing 30 years ago in their own homebrew world. Yeah, and that is like the magnum opus. I've I've never I, obviously I don't have that, and I don't think I ever will. Um, I'm I'm just too I, I suppose uh, I I like to 
sample things yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, to to put it in in words. I was going to say to just to like put in there. I think mm. again that's a, a benefit of like the approach like Lloyd uses because if mm. you, if you say to like me like how many games have you run? I can like, over the course of your life I can mm-hmm. probably go oh there's there's maybe thirty odd games I've I've run over the course of my life and there's probably like half of them that I'm still familiar with I can just pick them up and run with whereas if you say to like Lloyd like how many games have you run in the course of your life it'd be like hold on while I get this like massive file of facts yeah. out and like <laughs> run through mm-hmm. the list because so his his exposure to like different types of games different rule systems different ways of running games is far vaster than mine and I do think that helps him when he sits down to GM a new games he's got that vast experience he can pull on Mm-hmm. Whereas, I think my experience has probably been like a little more focused. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think there's um, there's definitely stuff to be gained just from uh, you know being exposed to different ways of going about things in yeah. in this hobby. I think that's a different strength. Uh, and um, uh, there's obviously there is. <laughs> a very clear strength to also dedicating yourself to one particular aspect of the craft. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's some, <laughs> we're talking about like persistent campaign modes and stuff like that. Yeah. That's something I'm sort of like low key trying to sort of do at the minute with like the yeah, smoke and snow. With smoke like and world. snow. Well, the, the world of like Valconan because I, my, my basic idea is that I'll set this, this campaign setting up. Then like anytime I want to run a, an OSR fantasy game, like, I don't know, Rob Davis has like done this, you know, like run it in that same campaign world, maybe move mm-hmm. the time on a bit, focus on a different area, but like keep it in the same campaign world and like build the world up in that fashion. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think I'm ever going to be like, all right, I'm only running fantasy games and they're all set in this one world mm-hmm. because, well, as we've said, like the new mothership's coming out at some point, I'm going to want to mm-hmm. run that and I can't mm-hmm. set that in the same world. I want to run, um, I want to run worlds of that number at some point. Mm-hmm. I could possibly fit that into the same world, maybe, mm-hmm. but I'd, I'd have to sort of, I mean, obviously I've read the, through the book a while back, but I'd have to have a look through it and go like, oh, how much of the, the game would I have to sacrifice to, to fit it into this campaign setting? Mm-hmm. And if I'm carving out too much of it, is it worth trying to run that system in the setting mm-hmm. or should I just do something a bit different? You know, because if I'm going to run a game, I may as well take advantage of the stuff in that game. Well, like I said, I want want to run 5th edition Vampire again at some point. I'm not going to be able to run that in Valconian. So, you know. Um, I don't think I could be... You know, when you get people who are like, oh, we've been running the same campaign for like 60 years and it's Mm -hmm. in the same setting... Which is why I say I'm sort of doing it low key because although I'm like, oh, I could run a consistent setting for like mm-hmm. most of my OSR fantasy games, I don't think I could keep running the same campaign for that length of time. Yeah, because I think yeah, there's different beasts. Yeah, different beast. at, at some point I'm going to want a bit of a break from that, or I'm going to want to do something different, and mm-hmm. that might be like, oh, I'm going to run some sci-fi for a bit, or it might just be as simple as like, oh, you guys have resolved the the big plot involving like the the God Swords. Or mm-hmm. right, we're going to run another OSR fantasy game, but like, let's focus it on something a bit different. So it's a bit of a change of pace, even if we're doing mm-hmm. like ostensibly a fantasy game again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of we've already laid a lot of uh, sort of dominoes ready for different areas in that world to 
make new campaigns happen and and switching the location of a campaign around yeah maybe we, maybe we end up going back to the um uh the other continent that we know about like the yeah. the bigger stuff that we know about. there's no doubt islands and shit but yeah, right, right, um, yeah. but yeah we're, we're we might go there because we have you know trade ships going across the sea and all that things as well I, I was sort of like the way i'm imagining sort of in my head at the minute the 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 campaign world work is very much on the sort of like the, the star trek like like tv series model you know where they sort of went okay we've got this original series star trek it's it's focusing on the federation and the enterprise and this that and the other then they were like all right we're doing the next generation right times move forward by like 100 years Mm-hmm. And now we're doing the same sort of thing, but it's a hundred years in the future. And then they're like, "Oh, we want a slightly more sort of like military, like gritty thing." All right, we're going to do like Deep Space Nine, which is in the same universe, but there's very different set of circumstances. It's mm-hmm. on this previously occupied space station with protecting this world, very different. And then they're like, "Oh, we want to do something a bit different now." So we're going to have like Voyager. It's like lost in a different quadrant of space. Mm-hmm. Then they're like, "Oh, we're going to nip back earlier in the time period. We're going to do like Enterprise." So mm-hmm. I, I sort of like envision like being able to jump around in like time and location within mm-hmm. the same campaign world because we're like we know the broad strokes of like well well i've got some written down the broad strokes of like the past of the mm-hmm. world but that's in the case we're like looking at it and being like oh this was the age of serpents when a great serpent mm-hmm. empire rose or whatever but you've got like a thousand years to, <laughs> to play with where there's like no sort of exact like a b c d progression written down where you could feasibly run like an in like I've, I've spoke about running swords and sorcery i could feasibly get like right i'm going to run in the distant past of like the world of arconan a sword and sorcery game when like this serpent empire was like at the height of its power or whatever mm-hmm. or it had just fallen and that would be very different from the game we have now but it'd still be filling in some of the background of the campaign yeah i think there's definitely space there for using these examples like you're setting the great serpent empire has just fallen and you start your worlds with a number game right there because it's the it's kind of post-apocalyptic in a fantasy yeah. sense um the sort of like um setting that comes with the book that you don't need to use obviously yeah. but um there's because that would give uh, a little bit more freedom with the like what can happen because we just had this like central power collapse yeah. so things are spreading around uh, people are taking what they can and uh uh, maybe I don't know your serpent folk, but um, maybe they also had a, a bunch of uh, different kinds of magic running about, which would give you more, you know, justification to use the material in the book. Well, assuming I go with like sort of an OSR game hmm. for when when I do get around to running some swords and sorcery, because I do want to do that. Um, my current thoughts are because I was back to um, Hyperborea. Hmm. My, my current thoughts are what six of me in the future when this happens so mm-hmm. i should have those books by the distant future yeah the distant future <laughs> so my current thoughts are basically like sit down with like worlds of that number hyperborea and go like oh like which one of these do i think could work best for this type of game and then just pick one and be like oh, are you guys interested in like doing some swords and sorcery set in like bajillions mm-hmm. of years in the past of like this this same mm-hmm. world So that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us next time when we have the final part of our discussion about long-running campaigns and the campaigns that we're running at the moment. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to get in touch, maybe tell us what you think of long-form campaigns or let us know about the best long-form campaign you've run. 
you can get in touch a number of different ways. You can leave us a voicemail message using either SpeakPipe or Anchor, link in the description of this episode, or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. So until we see you again, take care, stay safe, and whenever you're playing, have fun.